2: wage war the great commandment way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Declare war against sin with all that you are, and then stand in the victory of Jesus Christ. Welcome to worship. We've already had a tremendous time praising the Lord and seeking His face, and that continues as we open His Word. Would you take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5? So whether it looks something like this, or whether it's one of those digital devices in your hand, take it out or turn it on to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 27 in just a few minutes. We've been looking at the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher ever, and his name is the name we've been seeking. Singing all morning, his name is Jesus. We're in the fifth week and. Jesus has already given us so much. We started with the life-changing truths of the Beatitudes. They give life to our soul. They remind us of the way, the path of the follower of Christ. Then we continued with the challenge to be the salt and light, to be difference makers where we live and where we work and where we play. And then we began to navigate the tension between the law of the Old Testament and the grace embodied in Jesus. And we saw that Jesus has a high standard of scripture. Last week we learned the truth that healthy emotions and emotional responses lead to healthy relationships. And in fact, I gave you nine words that need to be introduced into your vocabulary. I want to say them together with you again, all right? Let's say them together. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Now I caught you off guard, so let's say those together again, okay? I was wrong. I am sorry please forgive me. Now, how many of you have had to use those words in the last week? Let me see your hands give you a minute to let them slip up. Of course you did because we're sinners. We blow it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like when I dive into a passage like this, the enemy takes notice. And so this week I felt those passions raging within me that we talked about in James chapter four. And I probably had to say those words a few too many times myself. So there you go. We also learned as we walk through scripture, the importance of memorizing God's word. How did you do on that one? We start by saying the reference let's say it together Ephesians 4 32 be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you this is one of the most important verses that you can remember in your life I think it's so beneficial to every Christ follower in fact there's a phrase that I say to you often and it kind of comes from this I've said it hundreds and hundreds of times in the last dozen years to this church family. Here it is. Christ followers never have the liberty to what? To be unkind. And that comes straight out of this passage. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so I hope you're taking God's word, that you're hiding it in your heart, and you're growing in your relationship with him. Today, we look at another of the six antithesis that we find of Jesus in the Sermon on the the Mount. They're called antithesis because Jesus is going to say something like this. You've always thought, or you've heard it said, or it was written, and then he's going to tell us something that every follower of God knows. Most of these are coming from the Ten Commandments, the big ten. And then he says, but I say to you, in other words, I want you to think about this differently. I want to take it to another level. I want to raise the standard because that's what Jesus does. He he shows us what the Christ life is supposed to look like. That's what this whole sermon three chapters in the book of Matthew, the most famous sermon ever preached. That's what it's about. How do you live the Christ life? How do you walk the way of Jesus? So we're going to dive in. Just look at a few verses. I'm going to cover you with scripture today because here's the reality. My words, man, sometimes they're all right. Sometimes I really blow it because I'm a sinner. I need God's grace. But God's word is perfect. It's always true. So a lot of the illustration I'm going to give to you today, I'm just going to read the scripture. So if you don't like it, don't take it up with me. Take it up with him, all right? And you need to know that because this is kind of a head-on, hard-hitting, high-speed message. It's head-on because the issues we're going to deal with, they impact us head-on. It's high-speed because life is coming at us, and I feel like sometimes we just dodge to get out of the way. It's hard-hitting for some of us, this is going to hurt a little bit. We're dealing with words that Jesus used like adultery and lust. So as I pray, just a reminder, man, we're always going to confront things biblically. We're never going to hide from the things that God's word talks about. But if you're a parent, this is probably going to lead to more discussion there in your home, which is kind of what you signed up for. That's your job. And we're here to help you with that along the way. Okay, let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for this time. God, I thank you that your word is perfect and true. So as we read it, give us ears to hear. Lord, place into our hearts and minds those things we need that we don't have. Teach us afresh and anew today. Make us different. God, as I prayed privately, I ask again, would you allow your spirit to be upon my words? And Lord, I pray that uh, the words I say and even my thoughts would be pleasing to you. <clears throat> Father, I know that, um, man, this world is full of distractions. So as we tackle an issue that is eating away at the fiber of our society, it's, it's causing all kind of havoc in your church Lord, I pray that you would free us from the distractions of life for these few minutes and we might hear from you. And as a result, Lord, that you might break chains, that you might restore relationships, that you might save lives today. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, that wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick up reading here in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. And just like we said last week, the Pharisees who gathered there listening to Rabbi Jesus, I mean, this was an amen moment. Because like most of them had not committed murder, most of them were not guilty of adultery. So you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Amen! But then Jesus does what he always does. And you need to understand this because some of you have never recognized this truth. Jesus always raises the standard. Some of you are, you're like me. I I grew up in the Bible belt and a lot of people I knew had some familiarity with church. And if you have some familiarity with church, it's not uncommon to say something like this. Well, you know, I I believe the Bible, but I kind of live under God's grace. We're in the age of grace. Jesus gives me grace. And and that's true. Jesus is a God of grace, but he just told us, hey, don't be confused. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. So we live in this tension of law and grace and in it. His grace, Jesus never lowered the standard. He never says, hey, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I'm going to say it's not always a big deal to murder. He did not do that. He always raises a standard. You've heard it said, it's not okay to murder. You're right. I'm telling you, stop being angry and calling people names because in your heart you're committing murder. You've heard it said you should not commit adultery. You're right. But then he says, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Whoa, what are you talking about, Jesus? That's kind of crazy. You think that's crazy, he says. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gorge it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. What in the world? Jesus is not only raging to the standard, he's calling for extreme measures. He begins by referring to these two of the Ten Commandments, and I think it's not a coincidence. I, I look at the church today and I just remind you, if you're getting to know me, I've been at this for about 30 years, but I grew up in church. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that kind of makes me feel handicapped, but I've been around people like us who gather in the church occasionally all of my life. And I think if you look at the the two biggest challenges in the church today, it probably relates to these two issues that Jesus is dealing with, because I know a lot of church people that are eat up with unforgiveness. They've got unhealthy Relationships because unresolved anger in their life. And I know a lot of church people that are dealing with this issue of, of lust and some area of sexual immorality in their lives. So Jesus begins to talk about this the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And I want you just to think for a second how would our world today be different if nobody would have ever broken the seventh commandment? How would your life be different? And just think about that, I mean, barring tragedy, which there would be tragedy because we live in a sinful world, but barring tragedy, no fatherless children. There, There would be no human trafficking. There would be no divorce. And think about how just us, just we who are gathered here, how life would be different if this command had been followed. After referring to the seventh commandment, Jesus changes the standard. He says, you've been focusing on the external though. I want to remind you that I'm looking internally. You've been focusing on the actions, that act of adultery. I want to remind you that I look at attitudes and, and that's at the core of everything that Jesus ever taught. It's just a reminder that our God, our God is an all-knowing God. And, and we like to claim that when we're going through a tough time and we, we, we rest on God's sovereignty. But I, but I want to tell you, even when it comes to those sinful moments of our life, when we think we've hidden this from everybody, there is no secret before God. He knows it all. Jesus suggests an extreme response. If you do this thing that I said don't do, gouge out your eye. If you sin with your hand, with your body, cut off that part of the body. And, and frankly, throughout history, there are some followers of Christ who took this literally. There, there's one famous follower of Christ, his name was Origen, and he literally castrated himself because of this command of Jesus. And he later came back and said, I don't know if that was right. I, I don't know that that's what Jesus was getting at, and, and I'm, I'm going to suggest to you that this is a case where Jesus wasn't suggesting a literal action in that way, but Jesus was saying, this is so serious that you had better do some serious surgery, because the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, and you've got a major heart issue if you're struggling in this area of your life. Jesus was reminding us that all of our choices are pathways. And those pathways lead to a destination. And a lifetime that's filled with ungodly choices will lead to an eternity, an eternal destination, void of God, without God. I want to say that again because that's so important. Your choices are a pathway that lead to a destination. And a lifetime of ungodly choices can lead to an eternity without God. Your choices matter. You're not just making a decision in a moment. When you pick up that drink, when you take that pill, when you are involved in that sexual relationship that's ungodly, there are consequences beyond the moment. And those consequences, they do add up. And when those consequences add up throughout a lifetime, you're in risk of what Jesus called the fire of hell. In other words, what we do really is a reflection of who we are if we're in Christ things should look differently in our life so Jesus is raising the standard first he told us yeah murder is bad and angry anger is equally as bad then he says yes adultery is bad but lust is equally as bad now i'm going to dive into this big But before I do, some of you are already tuning me out for a variety of reasons, but let me address one of the reasons. Some of you are thinking, this is not my issue. So let me talk about what is lust, because when we first hear that, we think about what it's most often used for, which is a sexual craving. But at its core, lust is more than that. Lust is an overwhelming desire that's guiding decisions in our life. There are longings that result in choices that we make. Someone has said, lust is a sinful longing. The inward sin, which leads to the falling away from God. Someone else said lust is the origin of sin because it has a place in our heart, not out of necessity, because it's the center of all moral faults and force and impulse of our spiritual activity. The Bible in another place says lusts in our life are these forces in our life that kind of drown out the word of God that he desires to be planted in our life. So as you think about this, if you're sitting there, whether perhaps as a lady, or perhaps as a person older in age, or perhaps as someone that feels like this is just not your battle, here's what I want you to think about. Contentment. And I want you to ask this question. Are you content with where you are and what you have in life, or are you constantly thinking about and longing for more? Because a Jesus life is a life of contentment, right? Ultimately, the bottom line, if you tune me out for the next 25 minutes, the bottom line is Jesus wants to be your source. Jesus wants to be your satisfaction. Jesus wants to be your contentment. And that's true at age eight or age 80. That's true if you're in a marriage relationship or if you're a single adult. That's true regardless of your upbringing or what's happened to you. Jesus wants you to find your contentment in him. So I want to ask you that question again. Are you content with with where you are? Are you content with, with what you have? Or are you constantly thinking about and longing for more? Now in this particular context, it's clear Jesus is talking about sexual attitudes, sexual actions. So let's talk about that for a second. This is fun because even among people like us, Christians, those who follow Christ, there have been a lot of different ways to look at this. Think about society today. Some people view sex as a God. In in fact, our media kind of presents it that way because it's everywhere. I mean you realize that right it really is everywhere if you, you hang out here much you know I'm, I'm not a pastor that preaches against stuff all the time but I want you to be aware it's in our cartoons it's in our advertisements it's in our music it's in the parking lot at Publix I can't get out of my car without hearing another car's music blaring highly sexual highly profane lyrics it's everywhere Things that when I were growing up, you could only see if, if maybe you went to the 7-Eleven and got that magazine that was hidden under the counter. Now, it, it takes about one second to find it on your iPhone or your laptop. It, it's everywhere. So you, you, you've got to ask, what, what am I going to do with this reality? Is it God? Is sex my God? Others, and man, the church has been guilty of this. Others have, have viewed sex as something that's gross. Something you can't talk about. And I didn't, I didn't grow up that way per se, but I, I grew up with the influences of that. And so like my parents... I mean, they're my heroes. They're the best ever. They never really talked to me about this and about God's design for this. In fact, I got a little book that just kind of handed me kind of guilty, the little book. And I began to look through it and it had pictures, but they were kind of stick pictures. They, they were not good pictures. And I remember I was ashamed of the book and that shame comes from the garden. Remember, cause God created sex for what? He created sex for procreation. He, he created sex for recreation. I mean, this was to be fun and I think it was fun because he created our great-grandparents. I know you don't want to think about your great-grandparents this way, but he created our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, and then he said, be fruitful and multiply, and Adam said, whoa, man, this is good, (laughs) and they began to enjoy that relationship, but it was because of sin that came after that lust for more, that lack of contentment, sin entered the world, and then they began to cover up. And they begin to feel ashamed of that very good thing, that gift that God had given. So part of this sinful attitude or sinful action comes from a lack of understanding of what God created in the sexual relationship, a purposeful, a fun part of life. But a part of life that has been profaned. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do you not know wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and that's what some of you were. But... You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Boy, aren't you thankful that when God looks at you as a child of God, He doesn't see you as a sum total of all of your sinful choices, but He sees you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, His Son. Would you give God praise for that truth today? Remember, we're all broken, we're all messed up, but by God's grace, He clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. But we don't just use that grace as an excuse. So Paul goes on to say, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Why? Do you not know your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. See, one of the best things you'll ever understand in life, a biggest spiritual principle that just will cover every aspect of what you do is when you realize, I am not my own. I'm not the owner. That's what that word own means. I own me. No, you don't. You were created God for God's glory. And when you understand that, every decision makes a difference because you begin to understand that every decision puts you on a pathway and that pathway leads to a destination and that destination has forever consequences. That's every decision that you make. So Paul says, flee sexual immorality. That's a big statement. The same guy He's going to tell us how to fight the devil in Ephesians chapter 6. And some of you have learned that. You've learned about putting on the belt of truth and putting on the breastplate of righteousness and that helmet of salvation and those shoes of the gospel of peace. And you've got that sword of the spirit that you're holding in your hand. And you're ready to fight the enemy. And here's the crazy thing. When it comes to fighting the enemy, the apostle Paul says, you stand firm in the face of the devil. If you're a child of God, that's what he says. Stand firm and fight. You've got this, why? Because you're fighting a battle that's already been won. But he says, when it comes to sexual morality, you better tuck tail and get out of there. You better pray and then run away. Why? Because your choices are a pathway to lead to a destination and a, a lifetime of ungodly choices lead to an eternity without God. You see, Scripture's consistent. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it costs you more than you want to pay. And if you don't know that old preacher phrase, let me just let you hear this preacher say, sin in my life, sinful choices. I can tell you about times it took me further than I wanted to go. I can tell you about times it kept me longer than I wanted to, to stay. And I can tell you about times it cost me more than I ever thought I would have to pay.
1: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis weekdays at 9 a.m. on Faith Talk Tampa, online at letstalkfaith.com.